All right, so uh, welcome to Element. If you are new in the last two weeks, you have no idea who I am, and that's okay. It's good for you. It's good for you. Uh, i got a couple announcements I'm going to give you. First off, uh, starting on February 2nd, Women's Bible Study is starting back up. They're actually doing a morning and an evening. So if you can come to either one of those, that's good. If you have Tuesdays free and you want to earn a little extra bit of money and you're not a weirdo, uh, you can... I think that last part was the operative part of the whole thing there. Uh, you can actually sign up and help up, and we'll actually pay you to watch some kids during one or the other of these studies. If you're interested in that, talk to Christy. She's in the back working with the kids. Yeah, she's in the back working with the kids. So talk to her and uh, let her know, and we would love to have you be a part of that. Uh, on February 22nd is our first men's dudes a Texas Hold'em poker party. Now, there is a $10 fee. This is for, what I say? January. I'm already past this month. I'm moving on. <laughs> January 22nd. Friday night, it's not Sean Puff Daddy Combs' house. <laughs> Actually, his name is Sean P. Combs, so it's, it's pretty big. Anyway, so at Sean Combs' house, uh, the $10 that you bring, it's for food and for prizes. It is not a buy-in. <laughs> so... There you go, just to lay some of your fears at rest. Uh, I told you if you get the uh, Element update, if you want to know more stuff that's going on around Element, you can go to our website, sign up for a weekly update we send out that gives you all kinds of stuff that's going on around here. In there I said we'd be talking about small groups this week before I started. Actually, we're gonna we're changing how we're doing this a bit because we want our small groups set up uh, a little differently than we were first thinking. So small groups, the, the new groups, are going to actually launch probably in about two months from now. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of young married groups, uh, young family groups. Uh, we're going to actually have a, uh, I, I don't know how to say this sounding politically correct, we're going to have like a middle age group. <laughs> Everybody's going everybody's gonna to show up in their Corvettes and, uh, <laughs> oh that's so, if you have a Corvette, good for you and take me for a ride in it sometime. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say uh, about that. We're going to have like single guys, single girls groups, stuff like So we're going to launch a bunch, but we want to do a couple things before we do that and do them right. So we're actually going to be a couple more months before we do that. Uh, lastly, I got this this cool story I'll tell you. We we were in Tahoe for the last two weeks. We went to go snowboarding until we, we went once and then we went again and, and some transformer blew up somewhere and all the power was out of Kirkwood and I was like, ah, it's anyway. So we're driving up there. My friend Jim Rowan uh, is one of the families, his family goes with us, and we stop at this gas station. And so he goes inside this gas station, and he buys this box of dots. You guys know what dots are? All right, they're, they're like jelly beans, but small and like really hard. So he goes, you want some dots? And I go, no, those things will pull the feelings right out of your teeth, right? He goes, he goes ah, he starts eating it, snaps his tooth. <laughs> eating a dot. And his wife goes, he told you. He told you. And he goes, I guess I should always listen to the pastor. <laughs> so there you go. You always listen to the pastor. That's how it works. All right, why don't you stay with me for reading to God's Word. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would also be those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, that you would teach us your ways and we would live and walk how you call us to live and walk, that we would be those whose hearts are fully drawn to you and our lives would show that. Amen. Have a seat. 
So we are going to start a new book of the Bible today. It's called Ephesians. I promise you it is in your New Testament. Uh, but before we do, we're going to take a step back and look at some history uh, that sets this book, I think, a little bit apart from different books. So if you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, this will give you some background into Paul's first trip through this city and, and how this works. I'm going to try and give you a lot of information this morning. And my friend Gene Holmquist always says, you give me too much information, stop it. You're going to get a lot of information this morning. So just go with me, sort it all out. One of my, my whole goal in this is try to help you to understand how our society today mirrors much of Ephesus and how the gospel still goes out and still makes a difference and what that looks like even today. So in the history, uh, Ephesus was one of the leading cities and one of the most prosperous regions of the Roman Empire. Part of this was it was one of the few places that had a good harbor and decent roads and a usable river. So what this happened is that allowed the free movement of commerce, but also ideas like spirituality to go through Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is a port city. And because it's a port city, lots of religious ideas run into and through it. If you had to look at Santa Maria, we would say Santa Maria is not a port city or a major hub. In case you didn't know, I'll just let you know that right now. But we are also close to Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo, and we're a little cheaper to live. And so some people from these places move here, and they live here. So we have lots of ideas that come in, and I believe that we at Santa Maria can actually be, at some point, a major hub. Now, at this time in Ephesus, magic was seen as an extension of their spirituality. They believed that the world was filled with good and evil, and there was a world beyond ours that was involved in the affairs of this world, and we as Christians also believe that as well. Ephesians 6.12, Paul actually says that our warfare is not just against flesh and blood, but there are other forces at work behind the stage. So these people believe that there is a dark and spiritual world that existed, but that the world was not ruled over by Jesus because most of them did not even know who Jesus was. And you see that much of the theme of Ephesus comes down to that Jesus does rule over everything. So these people in, in Ephesus, they get involved in magic to try to manipulate and to manage the spiritual world that they believe is beyond them. And this is important because anyone who comes to the place where they begin to believe that evil exists, it forces you to become spiritual in some way. Uh, if you realize that evil exists, you realize that there is a spiritual dimension that is there. Now, evil, evil usually causes people to try and be fearful, so they try and find a way to try and manage this, to protect yourself from this evil. The Ephesians realize there is evil and their response is magic, believing that there are good gods and bad gods and good spirits and bad spirits and that you had to come and do uh, incantations to these good gods and wear amulets and trinkets to get them to help you. Uh, we know at, at this time of at least 50 different gods and goddesses that were wor worshipped in Ephesus. And so you were trying to get these good gods to protect you from the bad spirits. They had the equivalent of what we would call white magic and, and black magic. You know, black magic today is negative spells upon enemies or to hurt people. White magic is marketed to teenage girls today as Wicca. It's called good and it, and it's good spirit. You cast good spells and you cast love potions on boys so they will fall in love with you and you can have your own one tree hill in your own life. That'd be so wonderful. Now, biblically, we know that there are not good and bad spirits. We know there are angels and there are demons. That demons are fallen angels who rebelled against God because they wanted to rule in the place of God. They were not willing to serve on God's behalf, much like much of our world, and I would say even some Christians today. Well, you'll see through the book of Ephesians that Paul is constantly talking about Christ being over all. Christ is the head of all things. All things are under Christ's feet. 
he talks like this because these people live in a world that is not following Jesus, but they are very spiritual. Okay, very spiritual. That is the heart of Ephesus. Statistically today, we're in the same boat because you can actually find today more people who are spiritual than brush their teeth, which should also scare you a little bit. Okay? And then, and what do these spiritual people pray to? To them, it isn't important. It doesn't matter as long as you are spiritual. Okay, but there is a difference between spirituality and God. That is the heart of Ephesians and Ephesus. They are spiritual people, but who God is is not important. And just like if you go down to Barnes & Noble today, you walk in, there is a whole section called spirituality. There is not a section called God. There is religion section, which is man trying to you know, make his way to serve their view of God. You know, but you just have this large section of spirituality and religion, devotion to the general sky fairy of Oprah, you know, whatever that may be. Well, we like the sky fairy, but don't tell us who you think he is. That's not really important. That is Ephesus. Many gods, no clarity, everyone doing their own thing, and many people lost. Uh, lastly in this, Ephesus was also best known for the Temple of Artemis, uh, also known as the Temple of Diana to the Romans. This is the seventh wonder of the ancient world. The ruins are actually still there today. Uh, Artemis and Diana was the goddess of fertility. So if you ever want to Google it, make sure your safe search is on when you do that. Uh, she is seen as the divine mother of the city. The cult of Diana grows because they had land holdings and they were in charge of the banking. So if you wanted to go buy a new car or chariot or help your kids go to college or get a home, you go to the cult of Diana because they are the ones that have the money. So they control a lot of politics because they have control of the money. Boy, that sounds like a lot of today as well. So they believe in good and evil. They believe that we are more than just physical beings, that we are spiritual beings as well, that they also believe in many gods. They believe we have a spirit and a soul, but know nothing about Jesus or the living God. And so this is where Paul, in Acts chapter 19, he rolls into the city of 250,000 people, and this is how it goes. Ready? Acts 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, and Apollos is a fellow preacher of the gospel, he is rumored to be one of the best preachers in the New Testament. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is the Holy Spirit as evidence of salvation. They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Now, John's baptism, this is John the Baptist. This is Jesus' uh, freaky live-in-the-wood cousins that was raised on bugs and honey. So he's, it's like Sesame Street, you know, one of these kids is not like the other. When he's, that's, that's John. <laughs> he's that guy. And John's whole thing was, you know, the one coming after me. That is the Messiah. So they were holding to, to John's teaching. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, a lot of people at this point, when they read tongues, like, oh, and they want to get into a big debate on tongues. We will not get into a debate on tongues. At this point, what you see is the Holy Spirit is evidence of salvation, not tongues. There are different occurrences of tongues in, in the book of Acts. You have the disciples that spoke in tongues, the Gentiles, John's disciples. One of the very first times you see it is in Acts chapter 2, and the apostles are going out, they're preaching their first sermon, and there's all these people in this town who from all these different places in the world, and they're all hearing the gospel in their own language. And actually Acts uh, 2 verse 11 says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
the word throughout the book of Acts for tongues is the word glossa, which is where we get our word glossary from. It is known languages. What you see in scriptures, there's two things. There's what's called prescriptive text and descriptive text. A prescriptive text tells you what to do. It's like husbands love your wives, dead is bad, don't eat dots. <laughs> things like that. A descriptive text tells you what happened. Judas hung himself. Okay? You don't confuse the two. You're not like, oh, i got to go hang myself. It's in the Bible. No, it is what happened. It doesn't always mean you have to do it. Uh, this is descriptive text. Much of the book of Acts is descriptive text. People who try and base all kinds of theology out of Acts, it doesn't work that well because it's all descriptive. It doesn't say everybody go speak in tongues. Now, can God do that? Of course God. God can do anything he wants to do. We, we can all paint us blue and we're running outside looking like, People from Avatar. He can do that if he wanted to. All right? But does he do that? No. Paul actually says uh, in, in the New Testament, he says, does everybody speak in tongues? The answer is no. If you have ever been among somebody and they told you, you have to do this or you have to have this gift, you tell them to get lost because we don't tell God what gift to give to people. God determines what he will give to people. God does, not us. And we have no right to tell him what he is supposed to to do. The point of this taking place here is that Paul comes into town and he talks to these guys who say, we know God. And Paul goes, great. What about the Holy Spirit? And they're like, what's that? And you know, Paul's like, the Holy Spirit, when you turn to Christ, God fills you with the Spirit. You become alive. You can have a relationship with God again. This is what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. This is the first thing Paul talks about in Acts 19. It is the first thing that he talks about in the book of Ephesians is the idea of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit takes away our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. The Spirit leads us. He guides us. He convicts us. Paul asks, do you have the Spirit? And they say, who? We know about John the Baptist. These guys were waiting at this point 20 years. So either they're not that bright or they're lazy and haven't made a trip to Jerusalem to ask about what's going on because John's not around anymore. He's been dead for a while. What's up with this? They are just like us in our culture that some people have little bits and a little bit of knowledge but aren't don't have enough gumption to go actually find out more and find the whole truth and not the little bits and pieces that they have. Paul comes in, gives them the truth. They follow Christ. Some people Paul talks to and they are obstinate and they will not listen and won't change. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That is one of the earliest titles for Christianity. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul talks to 12 guys. They believe. He goes to the temple, which is his custom, because if you can get these Orthodox Jews to believe in all the promises that Jesus fulfilled, he would have a huge base to work from a people to reach this entire city. So he goes and he preaches them for three months, and they will not believe. They will not believe. These other guys, it's like 10 minutes, Jesus, deal. Let's go. You know, and these guys, it's like forever. He's just, you know, the Puritans used to have this saying. They said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. You talk to some people till you're blue in the face and they just get harder and harder. And some people, they just melt. Paul decides to work with the people whose hearts melt because he can do a lot more with them, uh, these Gentiles. And so what he does is he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This is like a community center. He like rents a room in a community center. And Paul does classes for two years. He actually spends three years in Ephesus. This is twice as long as he spent anywhere else because Ephesus was strategic. 
And Paul did here what many churches are supposed to do, help you understand the scriptures, explain them to you, teach people to live missionally. When you walk out of this place, you, you, everybody you come into contact with, you are a missionary to them in your life. You are to show them who Jesus Christ is. We are all missionaries. So you teach people to live that way. Then also to equip them with classes and small groups and Sunday services where we gather together as a people. The people here that believe they are just like us. You know, they have nine to five jobs, families, and they believe in Jesus and they begin to open their homes, teach Bible studies, have small groups. It's amazing. They live and they reach their city. It's as though that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Why? Because they were trained in the hall of Tyrannus. They were trained in the church. The big myth for people today is that it's those who went to Bible college. Those are the ones who do ministry. You know, yeah, they're supposed to, but also everybody else is as well. We are all supposed to be involved in ministry. All you need is a hall of Tyrannus, which is one of the reasons why we do a lot of stuff that we do. The Truth Project coming up. This is this whole class is designed to help give people a biblical worldview. And so I encourage all of you guys to come to the class. We're going to break into little small groups afterwards and have you have some discussions about stuff. But this class will help you to begin to do that. We want to do things that makes this place more into like a hall of Tyrannus. So the next thing that happens in Ephesus, this is some crazy stuff that starts going on now. Uh, God starts to do something with Paul, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. I'm like, well, that sounds weird. Yes, it does. It's like, you know, I've, I've had a cold and I've blown my nose and none of my hankies ever healed me. So apparently Paul had really good hankies and stuff like that. Uh, but God is free. God can do whatever he wants to do. But there are prescriptive and descriptive texts. This does not mean that you should go out and start a hanky or apron ministry. Okay? God can do whatever he wants to do. We, in our world, what I think this kind of relates to is we have like a dualism in our world where we separate the physical and the spiritual. Medicine does this, divides people rather than seeking to help people as a whole. And so you go to a doctor if you're sick and you go to a priest or rabbi for your spirit. Scripture says these things work together as a whole. As a whole, you treat body and soul. The Bible assumes that God is always involved in healing processes. That's why James chapter 5 says if someone's sick, let the elders come and pray over you. I think some people have emotional issues because of physical problems. I think some people have physical problems because of emotional issues. And at times, it can be very hard to distinguish those two things. And we can't blame everything on the devil. C.S. Lewis actually says there's two extremes that are both wrong. One denies demonic existence altogether. One blames everything on demons. you got a demon of drinking, a demon of porn, a demon of diarrhea. And I don't know why the demon got that job. It's a bad job even for a demon. <laughs> the Bible says... The Bible says Satan can bait the hook, but we're the one who bites the hook. We take it. We bite it. So we can't blame anyone else for our sin. And But Scripture constantly tells you, again, the Holy Spirit, he gives us a new heart. He changes one. Not everyone who is depressed or hears voices are crazy. Uh, some people probably are. But Scripture says that Satan hates the image bearers of God, and he wants to destroy that image. I mean, I, I know for some of you, if you never been to church before, this, this might sound a little crazy, but there are two worlds. One of my favorite movies is a movie called The Usual Suspects, and there's a guy called Kaiser Soze. Now, at the end of the movie, he actually says this. He says, the greatest lie that the devil ever told was convincing the world that he didn't exist. In, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says that, you know, we've got to be careful that Satan might not outwit us because we are not unaware of his schemes. We must be aware of how he fights. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse you. He will call you worthless. He wants you depressed because when you are depressed, you become ineffective for the gospel. That is how he wages war. 
Acts is written by Luke, a trained medical doctor, not some back village voodoo, raggedy ants, stab the needle in it kind of guy. He's a trained medical doctor. And he says some people suffer because of things that are not just physical. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are sick, you go to the doctor. I get sick, I go to the doctor. But you should also let us pray for you as well because the two work as a whole. And so because this is going on, people are learning the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Paul's doing some of this stuff or God's doing this stuff through Paul. Acts 13, or verse 13, sorry. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So there's all this kind of weird stuff starting to happen through Paul. And then who shows up? The Ghostbusters show up. It's like, who are you going to call? And what it is, is there's a business here. People are scared. And because of the city in which they live and how it functions, you find that incantation, that thing that works, and that's what they're going to go in and work with. Oh, Paul's casting out demons. Oh, and we'll just do what Paul does and, and see what he says. So they invoke the name of Jesus, try to suck the bad spirits out. And if there are 10 things in the whole of Scripture, maybe even the top three, this might be one of the things that I would want to see in, in person. It says, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So they're trying to boss around demons in the name of Jesus. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirits answered them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who the heck are you? The demon's like, what? 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 Jesus, he's kicked us around. Paul's kicked us around, but you, you're getting a butt whooping. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Just awesome. Just awesome. If you're in a spiritual battle, you cannot use Jesus like a lucky charm. You must believe in Jesus. They use Jesus like, like a mantra. It's like, oh, it's like a magical incantation because that's what their city was like. Ephesus was a city full of books of incantations. Today we would call these prayers. You go down to the store and you can buy a book on prayers from your job to anything. You can find a book on prayer about it. And if you read the dust jacket to these, well, who do you pray to? Well, it really doesn't matter as long as you just say these prayers. Of course it matters. When you are praying, you're asking something in the spiritual world to do something in your life. Doesn't it matter where you send that mail? It's like if your kid is sick and you're like, oh, my kid's sick. Uh, I'm going to dial this number. Someone goes, hello. And you go, hey, can you come heal my kid? It's like, that's crazy. You gotta know where you're sending it to. You know, what, what we're talking, this is called superstition. Anyone superstitious? You're all superstitious. You are all superstitious. I'll tell you, anybody play baseball? You're the worst. It's like, oh, I got a hit. I'm not washing these underwear or these socks for three weeks when I play. Anybody watch basketball on TV? Watch these guys take free throws. It's like, Pass the ball around there. And then they shoot. And it's like, I don't, oh, he gets two shots. I don't have a half an hour to watch this again. You go away, you watch something, you come back, and everybody's superstitious. Christians, you know, we're so, we put little trinkets and little things around our house. You know, we buy these figurines. I know some people who put like precious moments over the house. I'll make fun of if you got them, but you know, over the house. And then Christians make fun of Hindus for all their shrines. At least their gods look scary. <laughs> I, know, I know some Christians. I should just stop now. Huh? <laughs> I know some Christians who wear crosses, and they think that if you wear a cross when you die, straight to heaven. It's like a bus pass right through the gate. You just go. You know, people do this with Bibles. 
Have you ever met somebody who uh, is like an ex-drug addict stuff? A lot of people who are drug addicts, they, they have huge Bibles because they think it protects them. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a huge Bible, but they got some big ones. I, I once I, I once talked to this guy. He was he was Native American and he had like some Buddha, Native American, a little bit of Christianity, a little Catholicism. And, he, and he's got this Bible when he comes in and he talks to me. And he goes, and I go, why do you got that? He goes, because it protects me. And I go, do you ever read it? And he goes, well, no. And I said, where'd you get it? Apparently, he got this Bible. He stole it from his girlfriend who he was sleeping with while he's still married to his wife who lived across the street. And I said, you know, there's something in there about that. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, what? And I said, well, I'll give you a Bible. Here's here's the Bible. Now, now give that one back because stealing's also in there as well, and you and you, and you shouldn't steal. And I said, the whole point of the Bible is so you read it. You read it, and then you know more about Jesus. It's, it's not this book that you hold up and inside your shirt, so if something attacks you, it stops the bullet. It is so you can know Jesus better. And when you know Jesus better, things go better. Your, your life becomes a meaningful whole. You should read, we promote reading the Bible. That's what we do. Uh, verse 17. When it became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, that what happened, that these guys got beat up, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Awesome. Many of those who believe uh, now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. These are the scrolls that would contain these incantations. When they calculated the value of these scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 50,000 drachmas is 50,000 common days wages. So if someone makes, you know, 20 bucks an hour, that would be $8 million. If, you, if people made $10 an hour, that would be equivalent to $4 million. It's a lot of stuff. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent his two helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So you have all these spiritual people, hundreds of gods, and they realize that not all these gods are actually good. They come to believe in Jesus. They believe him as the one true God. And they get rid of all the junk that they use to replace Jesus with. Peter Kreft writes, The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. It is idolatry. Romans chapter 1 says the same thing. We worship, but we worship the wrong thing. We worship our cars and our money and our home improvement project and our wife and our kids and your, your girlfriend or your band. Your devotion and your life and your energy all go somewhere. And so these guys, they, they get it right and they pull off their tinfoil hats and they take their UFO books and their trinkets and their amulets and their tarot cards and they get rid of it all. If this happened in Santa Maria today, you know, and we all took all of our stuff, everyone comes to Christ, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna burn all the, all the garbage. And we all grabbed our, you know, everybody took their porn and their crack pipes and their, and their bongs and, and your homemade meth, you know, and they, we all decided we're all gonna burn the stuff and get rid of it. Lots of stuff to get rid of, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything we used to worship in the place of Christ is gone, and now you belong to Christ. Romans 1.6 says this, We were called to be those who belong to Christ. It means everything belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. And you can't have Jesus plus your porn, plus your weed, plus your drugs. I mean, Paul is not saying, burn your rock albums, kids, like was all popular in the 80s. What he's saying is that what you worship apart from Christ has no value. That's what he's saying. Now, I, I heard this story, I heard this this pastor tell the story about this kid who actually came up to him and he becomes a Christian and he asks the pastor, can I keep my porn collection? And pastors get crazy questions sometimes, I'll just tell you that. So the pastor says, uh, no, we don't have Christian porn. People have tried, but the answer is no, you can't have that. And so, so the kid says, okay, I'm going to sell it. And he goes, we don't have Christian porno salesmen either. That, that's not how it works. 
And he says, well, it's worth tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, okay. You know, and he says, it's vintage pornography. You know, so now he's trying to like sell it as an antique collector or something, you know. And what's vintage? And to him, vintage, it's, it's this one of a kind hidden Nazi pornography. And so hidden Nazi pornography is totally different than magazines with naked women in it, apparently. So, and he says, no, you gotta get rid of it. And you cannot infect other people's lives with it. It's like, if, if you come to Jesus and you got a, you got a closet full of pot, you know, it's like, I'm gonna follow you, I'll just sell this pot and be done with it. You can't sell it. You can't sell it. Not only it's illegal, but you don't want to infect somebody else's life with it. When you come to Jesus, you belong to Jesus. You turn your back on what consumed your life in the past. If it's not Jesus, you leave it behind. And so because they're getting rid of all these scrolls and all these things, this begins to scare the businesses. You know, if people start walking away from all this stuff, how these businesses make money, it's going to be an economic crisis. And all of a sudden, all the head shops are, are going to end up closing, and, then, and all the porn shops are It's like, oh, and we need a stimulus plan because the porn shops and the head they're too big to fail. That's my one jab at political humor. Okay, verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way, that is, Christians. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. So you have this temple, the seventh wonder of the ancient world. Everyone who goes, you get a fake little statue of Artemis. This is like when you go to a ball game today, if you ever go to a baseball game, and they and it's like, oh, it's giant foam finger day. And you show up, and it's like, oh. You know, and somebody made those, somebody got paid to make those, and so somebody's making some money off it. This guy works with a bunch of people, they make these little statues, keeps everybody in business, they're all happy. They have a union. We will call these the Teamsters. So you get <laughs> Satan and goddess worship and the Teamsters all together, you're going to have major problems. Verse 25, he called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says, get this guy, that man-made gods are no gods at all. What? The little thing I made in my backyard, that's not a god? No, it's not. We do the same thing. We have our own little guns. We have like our iPhones and our TVs and our cars and our lawns and our DVDs or Blu-ray collections or our music. And we put them in and they, we can hear them or watch things and it gives us nice, bright, shiny lights. And we're like, oh, look, it's this great. I'm going to worship this thing. Those are not gods. They are not gods. Verse 27, he says, There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Oh my goodness. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Let me ask you, is this really a spiritual issue for them? No, it's a monetary issue. It's all financial. They're defending their income. Verse 28, when they heard this, these uh, union guys, they were furious and began shouting, Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus. Aristarchus, uh, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. The theater seats 24,000 people. So everyone goes to the L.A. Forum for a showdown. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. you got to love Paul. you got all these iron workers in there, and they're all, and Paul's like, I want to go preach. Like, no, no, uh, Paul, you can't do that. It's like a, you know... Okay, whatever. Uh, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Uh, the whole assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I told you, it's just like America. <laughs> 24,000. What are you doing here? 
I don't know what beat works. I thought I'd come down here. It's like a free, a wreck on the freeway. Every stops to look. You go out and stand in front of Jamba Juice, okay, with a bunch of your friends. Just look up. Pretty soon people walk by and they'll be like, the news might even show up. It'll be great. And what are you looking at? You go, aliens. It's a, it's a UFO. Okay. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to them. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So it's like a bad football game. It's like, we love Diana. We, we do. How about you? How about that? Chant goes, right? We love Diana. Yes, we do. How about you? Like two, the wave. Like two hours. Two hours. They're just like Americans, I'm telling you. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesians, Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Of course she did. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here that they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. What this tells you is that for the couple years Paul has been here, they have been very respectful. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils, like take it to court. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. That, this whole craziness, is Paul's background to the city of Ephesus. So when you read and we go through the book of Ephesians, you've got to look at this and go, oh my goodness, they're crazy just like we are. You know, they're, they're, they have this false spirituality just like many people today do. This is the thing that Paul writes into because he loves this great city, but they're all just a little bit nuts. This is Paul. You will see as you go through the book of Ephesus that Ephesians becomes about uh, principalities and authorities. Ephesians is about darkness and evil that is warring against God and his image bearers. It is, it is that God has placed his church in a position to be able to be light and fight in the darkness. It is about Jesus who stands above everything. He is referred to as the head over all. That is the theme of Ephesians. Like everything else, it is Jesus. Jesus is bigger than our darkness. Jesus is bigger than Satan and politics and teamsters and economics and false spirituality because Jesus is God. You will see that Ephesians is about Jesus and power and you and I being people who do not have to fear the darkness or be sucked into magic or superstition. That Jesus is our great God who has come to us and lived without sin and died for us and restores us to life. So we don't have to live in bondage to all the little gods. But we can live in freedom knowing the true God. This is about that our city and state is much like Ephesus. It is spiritual, but it is dead. And they have no love because they do not understand who Jesus is. Today, just like then, there are people who are just like the 12 that Paul first, first, first talked to and they want to know God. You'll see that there are those who are like the Jews, the obstinate and very hard hearts. Today, there are those who are Christians in name only, like the sons of Siva. They claim to work for God and use his name, but they don't know him at all. There are those who think that spirituality is all about money and a means to an end. And there are those who are like those who are in the hall of Tyrannus, who read and they study. And by them, the word of Jesus spreads to the entire region. Ephesus uh, is, is a crazy city, and Ephesians is an amazing book of all the stuff that Paul go, goes through in this book. And I think every part of it relates to our lives today because most of us are just like people in the city of Ephesus. 
And today, as, as I bring this whole thing to a close with all this information, I'm going to do the same thing that Paul did when he was in the city of Ephesus. I'm going to invite you to the living God. That maybe you have placed your hope in a thing, and this thing has let you down. You need to place your hope in someone, and that someone is Jesus. What we need to know as a people is that our sin has separated us from God and from true life. And yet Jesus comes and removes that by his death and by his resurrection. And we turn from our sin and he gives us life and we follow our God by his spirit. You know, when the whole world goes crazy, when the whole world goes nuts and runs into places like the L.A. Forum to have a showdown, our eyes must remain fixed upon Jesus because everything in our lives that, that the devil throws at us is designed to get our eyes off of him. Our eyes need to remain fixed on Christ because only then will this world come into focus and things begin to make sense. Uh, this morning, I invite you guys to communion. We have really cool brand new communion tables that uh, Jason Cassaro, the guy who plays bass, made for us. I think they're pretty cool. Anyway, uh, uh, you come to communion, we take that cracker and we break it like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we can be a people who live in freedom. And when the whole world, like I said, goes crazy, we can keep our eyes fixed upon him. One of the reasons we offer you communion every week is because it gives you a time to refocus and reset your heart and your mind to where it's supposed to be. Uh, we're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up. And they're going to do a few songs. And I invite you, where, you, where you're sitting right now, before you take communion, take a few moments and realize you know, where your life has gone a little bit crazy and where it's kind of gone off the rails just a bit. And then ask God, you know, God, I want to get my eyes back upon you so that it begins to, to focus on things it's supposed to focus on. That you would be able to, to look around maybe at your job or your home or your neighborhood you know, and, and the city in which you live and say, God, give me a heart for the city like Paul had a heart for the city of Ephesus who was solely focused on worshiping all these bizarre gods and all these bizarre incantations. And 